Good morning. I think I'm far enough here that I can take off my mask. I hope so. Um, I first of all need to apologize to all of those that were on the live stream last week. I realized, I found out that while I was administering the Eucharist, that I had a little mask thing going on and I was not aware that my mic was on in between moments when we were singing and that my singing so blessed so many people. Um, you know, it's just blown up all over the internet and stuff, how wonderful they've been blessed by my little, whatever I was doing. I don't, I don't know what I was doing. I was, they said I couldn't quite get, anyway, couldn't quite get it. And so now I really should not blame it on the mask, however, because um, I would probably be on that show um, that is titled America or whoever doesn't have talent. And so um, anyway, I apologize. And so also uh, we do have, if there was any trauma that anybody experienced by that, we do have some trauma therapy available. Uh, just go on the website and we'll, you know, try to help you as best we can. So that gospel text, I want us just to let that kind of soak in us for a moment. I think it's a really critical um, text in this very critical time. I believe that it hits right at the heart, in my opinion, of probably the most important challenge of being Jesus' followers today. In a world where everyone is disconnected, even even. When we're here, we feel a bit odd and weird and different rows and masks on and we're a bit disconnected, but the culture is so disconnected simply by the opinions that everybody is holding on what is right and what is wrong. We've never seen it quite like this before. I'll go out on a limb to suggest that the main reason that we've ended up so polarized in the world is because we are so poor at reconciliation. It's behind all the conflicts, all the major conflicts that have ever been, all the wars and rumors of wars that have ever happened, nation against nation, and even as we find in our own nation, people of the same um, culture and kind are so polarized, so disconnected from one another. Uh, we've probably never seen this, um, certainly not in our lifetime. Violence, prejudice in all its forms, and then it goes down to a smaller scale, broken marriages, broken families, lost friendships, and a divided and broken church. Now, I would suggest this should not surprise us terribly. One of the great challenges of our human experience is that we've only seen the world through our eyes. Usually by adulthood, most of us think that we've got the world fairly well figured out. Would you agree? Now, if you agree with me, then you're like a really, really bright person, and I would love to hang out with you. Uh, but the minute you disagree with me, well, I know I'm right, you're different, well, you must be wrong. And then I need to jump on Facebook and straighten you out and share that with the world. I mean, this is part of just being human. But this text suggests, as Jesus followers, that we need to struggle to live by the law of reconciliation. Reconciliation is this idea that two people that were once enemies are, are at odds with each other have now become friends. It doesn't mean we have to think the same, see everything the same way. As a matter of fact, that's not even going to be possible. I don't even think that's supposed to be the way that it works. But we must gain a respect for one another and the ability to continue to lean towards finding a place of common ground. And yes, I say struggle 
Um, I believe this is gonna be challenging. We should not be surprised we have conflict. Each one of us have a unique eye impression, a unique thumbprint. We've lived a life that has been different than anybody else has lived um, ever before. We've experienced it differently with our own personality. So we should not be surprised that we should have conflict. It's here to stay. God's not surprised we have conflict. I tell couples every day that just get used to it. Uh, we're gonna have it. Uh, matter of fact, if you wanna blame anybody, blame God. He's the one that made us different. If he didn't want us to have conflict, he should have made us all exactly the same. So there's something about conflict done rightly. He didn't expect us to do it the way that we do it, that would cause us to so separate ourselves from one another. As a matter of fact, I tell couples each day that if you marry somebody exactly like you, then one of you is unnecessary. The plan is that you take the difference and you blend together. That's the beauty. The beauty and wonder is in the blend of the diversity, the differences. That's where the strength comes from. And yet, as we all know, these differences are where most of the conflict will ever come in our life. So Jesus here is giving us a directive on how to handle the inevitable hurts and conflicts that will arise. Now, people approach conflict differently. Some deal with it in a very passive way where they just kind of sweep everything under the rug because they just feel like, let's manufacture peace. Let's just pretend like we're at peace and not ruffle anybody's feathers. And, and yet, even though it might seem peaceful at the moment, that something starts breaking apart in them underground. Um, and there begins to be kind of a poison almost that's released indirectly because they're holding so much of that. And they also end up with very lumpy carpets. Um, equally, confrontation that doesn't have, it's its main aim, reconciliation, and is about dominating others and forcing things to bend to our own will is worse than useless. So here in Matthew, we're given a framework how do we approach this? Before we discuss the how, I wanna talk about the heart attitude in which we must approach one another for us to move towards unity with them. Now, some might just say, you know, people are just so opinionated and so pushy and sometimes just so weird. Why should we even mess trying to unify with others? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection inaugurated a new world order of unity. Yet the challenge that we're experiencing is that we aren't feeling that quite yet. It's that tension of the already, not yet, that we have to continue to live in. In this in-between time, we're commanded to live in the present world as if citizens of a future one. In our Romans text today from the lectionary, Romans 13, 8, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. C.S. Lewis has this brilliant quote that I use oftentimes in marriage counseling, but it's absolutely pre actually presented as a very gen general um, action and how, we, uh, how that love is an action, not a feeling. It says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. 
act as if you do. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Fulfilling this law is not earning God's favor in some way. It's reflecting the love of God for his creation and revealing his character to others by loving ourselves and our neighbor in ways that protect us from harming others and being harmed by others. Therefore, the purpose of reconciliation is that we might be united with God's creation. However, to do this, the value of unity has to outweigh the need to be right. Ah, that's a hard one. Jesus' prayer on the way to the cross in John 17 also guides this. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So back to Matthew. When we're offended or feel sinned against in some way, or somebody's done something or not done something that's harmful, what do we do to bring about unity? First, the scripture says that we need to go to them. I suggest we go to them in private. But I would also add that we need to consider how we go to them, not just going to them. This will not go well if your plan in going to them is to judge them or to criticize them or to step in and be their parent or their teacher. It will not go well. So we need to realize that every human transaction that we're going to have with significant people that have hurt us, and we're suggesting that most of this scripture is not just for somebody that jumped in the grocery line that you're irritated about. This is somebody of significance in our life that has hurt us or by doing something or not doing something. We realize that every human transaction has the potential for entering into what we call a dance step. And what happens in this is we've got each, each person here. Each of them come with a set of um, unique life experiences that they've gone through, bruises, emotional bruises that they have. It could be rejection on the playground at five to, at five to somebody broke their heart in junior high school to um, parents went through a difficulty when they were teenagers and they felt destabilized by that. There's all kinds of things that could happen. Whether this is a husband and a wife, whether this is you and a parent, you with an adult child, roommates, talking to your sister-in-law, brother-in-law, co-worker, whatever it is, there's the potential that this, what we call a dance step, could take place. A dance step is where these bruises in both people perfectly line up with each other in a bad way. This is not a happy dance. This is not a good dance. What takes place is somebody has done something to harm the other and sinned against them in some way, and it hits this person's bruise. And what tends to happen is when we feel threatened in life, it hits the part of our brain called the amygdala. Some of you have heard of that. This is the part of the brain that's kind of the lowest base animal part of us. Some people call it the lizard brain. It's the part where we feel threatened in some way. And when we feel threatened, that part of our brain is supposed to light up and is supposed to go into fight or flight or freeze. Now, God needed to put this in us because there are literal things that are threatening in the world. If you've got a, a, a rabid dog chasing you, you need to run or you need to pick up a big stick 
um, or get out of there as fast as you can. But the problem is that that part of our brain lights up when we feel threatened, even by a friend or a family member or a coworker. And what happens when that lights up, we get this flood of feelings. And out of those feelings, we have this knee-jerk behavioral reflex. Again, I call it a reflex because it skips the frontal cortex of our brain, which is where we can logically think about something. And it jumps into fight or flight or freeze. And this person's behavior or reaction in our dance step perfectly hits this person's bruise. It hits their amygdala. They feel threatened. They go into fight or flight or freeze and their emotions flare. And they have this behavioral reaction. Uh, Again, it's a knee-jerk reflex that then hits this person's bruise some more. It causes more of these feelings. It causes more of this action that hits another bruise again. And, And in moments... We're just responding to each other, reacting to each other. Um, almost feels like intoxication, and there's no alcohol involved at this moment. We're not thinking straight. We're just saying things to each other. Every interaction that we're going to step into has the potential for this to happen. And we're wise if we're simply aware of it and realize that how we approach a person is critical. Now, we're going to talk about, okay, how do you actually approach them then? Um, that they can receive it. Before we get there, if uh, one of the keys of if this starts happening, by the way, you can interview married couples and couples have been married for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, and they'll pretty much tell you that they've had the same argument their entire marriage. Now, different things trigger it, um, but they end up acting and responding, feeling the same things, acting in the same way. It's that's why we call it a crazy cycle. Some people say it's just like a black hole that sucks them in. They, they try not to go there, but it's a potential that happens. If that starts happening when you're talking to somebody, the, the most powerful thing that you can do is to simply step out of it with words like, you know, this conversation's not going great. <laughs> this isn't what I was hoping would happen. Could we take a break? Let's take a few minutes and and, and, and let this calm down a little bit. Studies suggest that we need 30 minutes, minutes to an hour for that part of our brain to calm down. Because if we keep that going, I've never seen it work. Um, I've never seen anybody in the middle of that dance stop and go, oh my gosh, you're so right, and I'm so wrong here. Never seen that happen. Now, Sometimes we get deceived about this because it looks like in television and movies that people can just go and ream somebody out and just go off on them and it stuns them so much that they then change. I've never seen that ever happen in, in real life. And so we have to step out of that as quickly as possible. Now, what we don't do is we don't come back in 30 minutes to an hour and say, well, what I was saying was and started all over again. The key to how we could approach somebody in the first place to give the best chance that this wouldn't happen or that if we could pull out of it, uh, that dance and come back to it, is a, a process that helps not only you share what you need to share, but helps them hear the heart of, of what you're needing. The best way to do that as you go to somebody is to simply ask them for time to talk. Is there there's something I need to talk to you about. When would be a good time for you? What you're saying by that is you're saying, I need to respect myself, but I'm also going to respect you. This may not be a good time for you. So many of these altercations happen just quickly and off the cuff, and they go badly. 
But if we actually set a time, you know, if you, if you have a boss, you're probably not just going to burst into his office and go off on him if you want to have that job tomorrow, right? You're going to ask for time. Hey, is there something we can talk about? And then we begin to guide them through a process that moves towards reconciliation. Now, if I have a couple in my office, I'm kind of sharing this process, or I have a family, this process, and they both, they all kind of know the rules, and I kind of coach them in that. But the people you're going to talk to don't know, they're probably not going to listen to this, and they're not going to know how this might work. But you can guide a person towards reconciliation by these kinds of words. Hey, there's something that I need to talk to you about. If you could give me a moment and just let me really get it out on the table, I would really appreciate that. When I'm finished, and I would love to hear your side of the story here because I want to make sure that we're able to come up with something that can solve this. So we're starting to speak about reconciliation. We're starting to speak about a solution here rather than in just, I'm going to tell you, you hurt me and how angry I am with you. So we start speaking towards that. And, and once I've heard your perspective, then uh, maybe I can share something on how we might change this for the future. So many people never get out of just talking about the problem and they talk about the problem and talk about the problem and exhaust each other. Reconciliation moves us towards change. It's all about the future and how we might do things differently. And if you don't hear anything else I've said, listen to this one. The most powerful thing you can do as you then start sharing your side of the story with them is simply eliminate the words you and yours from your sentences. It sounds simplistic, but it makes a huge difference. If you go to a person and say, you did this and you did that, you automatically are saying, you're the problem. We humans don't respond well to that. You're going to get fight or flight from them. It's going to hit their amygdala. They're going to feel threatened. There's a difference between me saying, well, you told me yesterday that you were going to get this taken care of. You didn't do it yesterday. You still haven't done it today. You frustrate me because you don't follow through with things. Now, if I talk to another person that way, again, I'm going to get fight or flight from them. But if I change the language and said, yesterday I was told that this was going to get taken care of. It didn't happen yesterday. still hasn't happened today. Gosh, I woke up frustrated because this didn't happen. It allows them to hear it. And you'll be amazed. I encourage you just to try me on this. We're talking about the thing instead of the person. We're separating the person from the problem. As you begin to share them together, then, now again, they don't know these rules, and so they may come back with a lot of finger pointing. Well, you didn't do this, and you don't do this. And if you can make sure that you, you catch yourself and not take the bait and, and move the conversation forward and say, you know, what if we were to do this next time? Would that work for you? If not, why don't you tell me something that you think might work? And if that doesn't work for me, then maybe we can start blending these perspectives. And we can find, ultimately, a place of common ground, a place that we can move towards reconciliation. This takes work, it's challenging, but it can make huge differences in our relationships. The scripture goes on to says, well, what if that doesn't work? What if they don't see that? What if there's not repentance? Well, that's what I have every day when a couple comes into my, into my office. They've been trying to do this at home, and it's not working. And then I'm the person that they come to that I, and I simply try to help coach them in this process. And what I don't do, whether you would go to a pastor or a counselor or whatever, what we don't do is just 
say who's right and who's wrong and, 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 and try to, or even necessarily try to fix it for that moment. It's how do we help you learn how to move towards reconciliation and unity in your life together? And we coach them in that. Now, sometimes that doesn't work. And the scripture then goes on to say, what now do we do? If the person isn't repentant, if they don't get it, if there's not the ability even going to another person or two people, whoever that might be in your life, what, what now do we do? It suggests that we begin to disconnect a bit. We begin to set some boundaries in that relationship. As a pastor over uh, the last almost 40 years now, I've had a couple of situations where we've tried to reason with people, and it's not worked. Many years ago, we had a, a gentleman in the congregation that was, in essence, stalking a woman, a young woman. He believed that God told him that that woman was supposed to be his wife. And he showed up at her house, he showed up at church, you know, tried to get to her right at the lobby, he was trying to convince her, sending all kinds of things to her constantly. She came to us and said, help, he's overwhelming me. We sat down with him and tried to get him to understand that if, if you believe that God told you this, she's gotta agree with it. <laughs> she's gotta go along with this. He could not get it, he did not repent. We had to ultimately, and this is not what is, is God's best, obviously. This is the last part of it. We had to say, we're going to ask you not to come back. We had to tell our ushers, if he comes back in, come and get me. He can't come back to church here. She actually had to get a protective order. We've done this, had this once or twice in 40 years. It's not the best, but there has to be an out for that. I've uh, as a marriage counselor for almost that period of time, I've never once told a person that I would encourage them to get a divorce. But I've had some people that have had to choose that because the other person was either unwilling or incapable of real repentance and change. You may be talking to your boss uh, about this or an employee and you try to reason, they don't get it. You might have to let that person go or you might have to get another job. Scripture says, as much as it's up to us, live at peace with all men. This is a pathway that we can move towards peace. This is a pathway that we can move towards reconciliation and we can do our part. This process of reconciliation is severely practical. That's why I've tried, and I hope it's been okay to be a little practical today. I, you know, I'm a counselor. I wish I could have gotten my whiteboard out and drawn all this and so forth. And then I would like to interview all of you and to see if it, does this make sense to you now and what relationships might you need? Anyway, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, but it's severely practical, but it is also ruthlessly idealistic. I tell couples every day that coming together in unity is probably the hardest thing that you'll ever do. But when it happens... I believe you changed the world. You have now just brought the world more into harmony. We will struggle with this, but I am amazed daily when people press into conflict and they move towards reconciliation that I hear over and over again that they actually came out better than they ever were before. That's godlike. As I close, as we prepare to come to this table, which is the table of unity, um, I just want to reference 
our Old Testament text in the lectionary today, God speaks to Aaron and Moses about how he's going to deliver them from slavery. And he instructs them to begin to celebrate the Passover meal. He told them to begin to celebrate this meal, to celebrate their deliverance before the deliverance took place. I thought that was quite fascinating. The Eucharist is our celebration meal. The God is making things new. Regardless of how the world looks to us today, how disconnected it is, we can take part of coming as different and unique people to this moment of unity with God and have an encounter with the life of Jesus where we might go into the world this week and be about bringing the world into a greater place of unity. Let's pray. Father, we come to you at this moment. First of all, thank you that you get your creation. You understand how you've designed us, formed us and fashioned us quite unique. And that this idea that we're gonna see things differently and that we have, we're gonna enter in with different personalities and different life experiences, that this is not a surprise to you. But that's the beauty of, of your design. And yet, thank you that you get why this is so hard for us, that this is difficult. But regardless of how difficult we may find ourselves circumstantially, we trust that you are making all things new and that you have a way to move us towards unity. So we trust right now, as we're a bit overwhelmed with separation in the world, that you might speak to each of us on what we could do. How might I move forward? Who do I need to more move towards in, in a, with a heart of unity, with a heart of reconciliation, so that we might be about bringing your kingdom to bear in the world today? We trust you for the power in you to be able to walk this out. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.